I'm uh, really thankful to get the opportunity to open God's Word with you this morning. My name is John. Yeah, I'm one of the pastors here, and um, just thankful for this time of year um, that we get to celebrate Christ. And yeah, so our, our kids, uh, I think a lot of them already escaped uh, out to the Sunshine Club, but any kids through fourth grade are welcome to head to the back there. Um, and so this morning, we're going to be continuing in this uh, series that we've been going through uh, around Christmas time, Pastor Tim just started it last week, uh, around this question, what child is this? And we want to think about uh, the child Jesus, and not to just imagine, you know, cute baby Jesus and like color pictures with baby Jesus, and that's fun to do with uh, kids, and our kids might be doing some of those things even now, uh, but to think about who, who is Jesus really, and what did it mean when he came to earth and was, was born as an infant, what, what were the implications of that? And so we want to uh, unpack that. Um, whenever we see a baby, usually there's things that we look for, right, in a, in a newborn child. Um, in my uh, family, with Anna and I and our three kids, we've always had a couple things we look for uh, in our children after they're born. Uh, a couple things to check for. One is red hair. We've been hoping, not that I'm biased, but... Uh, Anna, Anna, want, Anna wants a redhead too. Uh, Leon, it seems like maybe it's turning a little red, but uh, time will tell. But our kids are always bald until they're like a year old anyway, so it's hard to, it's hard to know. Uh, so we, yeah, we wonder if they're a redhead. And then uh, on, the, on the flip side, we're hoping that they don't inherit my thumbs. Uh, if, you don't, if you've never seen my thumbs before, and maybe I just am causing a huge distraction. But um, I inherited what my family calls toe thumbs. Uh, they're twice as wide as they are tall. Um, that's, uh, I think, my, my mom's side of the family. I have an aunt that has thumbs like that. So anyway, so when our kids are born, you know, we're checking them out and like, okay, what, you know, what, what do they got? What do they like? Uh, we're, uh, we're interested in, uh, in what they look like. Um, we were just in Iowa for Thanksgiving with my family. Uh, that's where I'm from, and my, my parents and my siblings are there. And uh, so got to be around some friends and family over the time that we were there, and a lot of them uh, were meeting Silas for the first time, who's our 10-month-old. Um, and some that haven't seen him yet or haven't seen him in a long time. And uh, so they look at Silas, and people that have known me my whole life, they look at Silas and they say, he looks just like John, right? He looks, they, they say he looks just like me, and I think it's pretty funny. Um, Anna, my wife, has grown up in this church and in this uh, town um, and been around a lot of you for a long time in the Gats family, and so not all of you, but many of you look at Silas, and what do you say? He looks just like Anna, right, and yeah, so I guess we're split, I don't, I don't know, and probably both is the answer, right? Uh, that would make sense. Uh, but it's funny, when we look at babies, we kind of think about it in, in some of those things, you know, who do they look like, uh, what are the children going to be like? Um, and so I just want to think about and unpack this thought of what did people see when they saw Jesus? Or think about Mary and Joseph, when, when Jesus had been born and he's lying in the manger, um, and, and just all the chaos that surrounded the birth, and then it came, and then they're there with Jesus, the son that the angels had told them about, and they're probably still a bit freaked out trying to figure things out. Uh, scripture tells us that Mary treasured all these things in her heart, and so she, she saw the significance. It wasn't lost on her, but I'm sure that they were confused in some ways. I think about the shepherds, right? The shepherds were out in the field, and angels appeared to them in the sky, and the angels said, don't be afraid, and they were afraid anyway because that would be terrifying. And, uh, and the angels appear to them and tell them about this Jesus that was born. They go and see this baby Jesus and they, they worship him. Why would they do that? And then you think about the wise men who, 
uh, probably didn't come right at the birth of Jesus, but sometime later on, they come to Jesus, and what do they see when they see Jesus? Well, they, they brought gifts that were fit for a king. And so what, what did they think about Jesus as they worshiped Jesus? And so we want to unpack this idea of, you know, what child is this? Who, who was this Jesus that came to earth, born in a humble way like that, in a food trough? Um, for Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the wise men, the most important thing about them became what they believed about Jesus, what they, what they thought of Jesus, who they considered him to be, what they thought he was going to do. The most important thing about them is what they now believe about Jesus. And certainly that is true for us today. The most important thing about you is what you believe about Jesus. And so at Christmas time, it's a special time of the year that we get to celebrate the birth of Jesus and we spend extra time thinking about that. We have special sermon series talking about that. And it's an opportunity to reflect on Jesus and to think about some of these uh, some of these very things and so Pastor Tim said this last week and it's it's really I hope the reason that you celebrate Christmas but uh, it's because Jesus is worth celebrating the the birth of Jesus is worth being excited about because of all that it means all the implications tied into the fact that God became man and dwelt among us and he came in humility not with the pomp and circumstance that would be fit for a king but he came and he was born in a humble way. And so we want to celebrate Christmas because Jesus is worth celebrating. Uh, it gets its own genre of music for a reason. It gets its own season for a reason because it's Christmas. It's significant uh, because it's all about Jesus. And so uh, as we've been looking at names of Jesus, we've been doing it out of this paragraph in Colossians chapter 1. And if you've uh, been with us uh, the past couple of months, you know we've been going through the book of Colossians on Sunday mornings and we've gotten into uh, chapter 2. And so we're actually going backwards to Colossians 1 to this paragraph in verses 15 to 20 and just dissecting some of the names of Jesus that we see in this paragraph because there's just, uh, it's a very rich uh, paragraph. Pastor Tim talked about he would he would pick it as one of the top three paragraphs in the Bible. Um, and if you disagree with him, then you'll have to fight him about that because he seems pretty set on that. But uh, it's it's a significant paragraph to think about all these things that encapsulate who is Jesus, who is he, and so we want to uh, think about that. And so we're going to be looking at the the title, the idea of the firstborn of all creation. It comes in the first verse in this paragraph. Uh, but I want to read the whole paragraph just as we uh, dissect it week to week and, and keep it in front of you. So if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to follow along. Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 15 to 20. If you grabbed one of the Bibles from the, the pew rack in front of you, uh, that's on page 983. Uh, but let's read Colossians 1, 15 to 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. 
And so we just want to take some time today to think about the firstborn of all creation. What does that mean that Paul called Jesus the firstborn of all creation? Uh, And as Phil alluded to, it doesn't mean that Jesus was born first. It's pretty easy to figure out that at that point in history, a whole lot of people had been born before Jesus. And so what what does Paul mean when he says firstborn of all creation? Well, in in that time, in biblical times, firstborn carried a lot of uh, significance. Uh, I think of Jacob and Esau. If you know the story of Jacob and Esau, that there was a fight for who was going to get the birthright, who was going to be the the son of promise and be treated like the firstborn. And typically the firstborn got all those privileges. Uh, But if you know the story, Jacob had this uh, little bit of a scheme, and he tricked Esau out of his birthright. And so Jacob became the the promised son. He received all the rights that a firstborn uh, would normally have received. I think of the plagues in Egypt, uh, where God was trying to draw the Israelites out of Egypt. And what was the straw that broke the camel's back of Pharaoh's will and his, uh, his grasp on the Israelites? It was the 10th plague where there was darkness, the angel of death came, and it took the life of the firstborn of every person in all of Egypt, not just uh, humanity, but animal and wild beast as well. And what it says in Exodus is that there was great wailing in Egypt, and so that blow was even more emphasized by the fact that it was the firstborn, because even in Egypt, the firstborn carried significance. Pharaoh's firstborn son was probably going to be his heir to the throne, the, the firstborn is, you know, what makes us as parents, makes us parents, because they're our firstborn. And so firstborn carries all these connotations with it. And so Paul applying this to Jesus as the firstborn of all creation, certainly he wants us to think about the, the, the rank of Jesus, the priority of Jesus, the supremacy of Jesus, that he is, he is firstborn, he is above, he is before uh, all of these things. Uh, and so I just want to give you four maybe depictions or four ways that you could describe Jesus as the firstborn all throughout Scripture. And so um, we're, we're going to be all over the place in, in the Bible this morning. And, and I've got, I think, all the verses on the screen if you want to follow along. And you can write down the references and you can check it out later. I would encourage you to do that. I think that would be uh, beneficial for you. That's been, uh, it's been so good for me this week just to soak in these scriptures and thinking about who Jesus is, but um, you're, you're welcome to follow along. But I just want to go through scripture and just pick out four ways that we can see that Jesus is meant to be firstborn uh, over creation, over all things. How is it that Jesus is first? How is he firstborn? And so uh, my creativity uh, shows itself here. The first way Right, pretty simple from the name that we're looking at, is that he's first over creation. And so in a very general way, certainly we could say Jesus is overall creation. You can't look at this title, firstborn of all creation, and come away thinking that Jesus was born or he had a beginning. Uh, you, you could think that if you just look at the literal word, but if you look at verse 16 in Colossians 1, what does it say right after this? That Jesus created everything. That's how verse 16 ends. All things were created through him and for him. And so Jesus wasn't just the, the beginning of all creation, but Jesus brought creation about at all. So Jesus is first over creation. And so I just want to read again our scripture reading that, uh, that we read together from John 1, 14 and 15. Just thinking about Jesus uh, and his rank, that he is before us. Uh, he is before 
uh, and over all creation. So John 1, 14 to 15 uh, says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. The really interesting thing about John saying that is that John is probably about six months older than Jesus. And again, if you, if you know the, the, the Christmas story, and you can read this in Luke 1 and 2 about the birth of Jesus and all the events that took place leading up to the birth of Jesus, but Mary, Jesus' mother, was related to Elizabeth, and Elizabeth was about six months along, and Mary went to live with them. And it says that at that time, while Jesus was in the womb of Mary and John was in the womb of Elizabeth, that John leapt in his mother's womb when he was near Jesus. And so even, even as, a, as an unborn child, John knew about Jesus. And somehow, supernaturally, God had given uh, this kind of spiritual vision to John the Baptist. And so John the Baptist, who actually was born before Jesus, says, Jesus came before me. He ranks above me. He is more significant than me. And John the Baptist had this following of people. He was, he was baptizing them, and they were, they were following his lead. And then Jesus came along, and John says, that is the guy you follow. I came to set the stage, but he is so much more significant than I. Follow, follow him. And so, uh, so Paul doesn't mean literally that Jesus was the firstborn, but that his rank and his um, his status is, is above all creation, that he's over all creation. It was a symbolic uh, title. God actually used firstborn in a symbolic way uh, in Scripture as well. Look at Psalm, uh, Psalm 89, verse 27. God says this uh, about David. He says that, I will make David the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Uh, if you know anything about David and his family, you know that David wasn't the firstborn. Actually, technically, David was lastborn. Uh, he was the youngest in his family. Um, and not only that, but he wasn't even the first king in Israel. He was, the, he was the second king. Saul was the king before him. And so this idea that, that God is establishing David as the firstborn, what did that mean? It meant that all kings would find their relation to David. They would be weighed and measured based on uh, the kingship of David. Even now we think about, and it's been prophesied about, the, the throne of David and that one day in the future Jesus will sit on the throne of David. And so all kings find their rank based on, based on David. Uh, and, and as we go along, I'm going to argue that Jesus is the better David. Jesus is the better David. Jesus is the firstborn. He ranks above and beyond uh, all. Uh, let me just give you a few other scriptures just encompassing this overall idea that Jesus is over all creation. Maybe. There we go. Hebrews 1.6 says, And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Let all God's angels worship him. And so Jesus can't just be 
a, a, a cute little human baby who grew up to be a good teacher and a good person and a moral person and somebody that we could learn from and glean from. Jesus has to be so much more than that because otherwise it would be wrong for God to direct worship to him. No, Jesus can be worship because he is God. He is before all creation. Jesus was there at the moment of creation. Jesus was part of creation. All things were created through him and for him. Uh, one other around this just encompassing idea of Jesus over all creation, John eight fifty eight. Um, this comes in a conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees, and Jesus is telling the Pharisees, you don't understand. Abraham looked forward to the day that I was going to come, and in fact, Abraham has seen me, and I have seen Abraham. And the Pharisees are like, uh, Jesus, this is an easy one that we can attack you on. You know, we're no, you know, math whizzes, or maybe they were math whizzes. Uh, but you're not old enough to have seen Abraham. Abraham has long since been dead by the time Jesus showed up on the scene. And this is Jesus' answer to the Pharisees. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And that's a reference back to Exodus and Moses. And Moses asked God, when I go, who should I say I represent? Who, who are you? And God says, I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent you. And so this is Jesus. He is the great I am. He, he is over all creation. He certainly ranks above all creation. And we ought to treat him in that way. And so again, I just want to pick out some, uh, some more specific ways as we go through. And just ways that Jesus is first and how God intended for him to be first and how Jesus fulfilled uh, that reality through his, uh, through his birth and his life and his death. And so the, the second depiction is that Jesus is first among believers. Jesus is first among believers. In the, in the community of believers that exist uh, globally and have existed through all uh, history, Jesus is first uh, among many brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me read Romans 8, uh, 29. It says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. Uh, one of the beautiful messages of the gospel is that when we become part of the family of God, Jesus is part of that family with us. Jesus is the, the son of promise, and he is, he is above all in the family of God, but Jesus is a friend. Jesus is more than a friend, but he's a, he's a sibling through what he accomplished at the cross. And so if you belong to the family of God, you belong to God, you belong to Jesus, you are a part of his family. And so certainly Jesus is first among all who would come to him. Jesus leads uh, leads the way, certainly. And then uh, in the same chapter in Romans, just back in verse 15 to 17, uh, Paul says this in thinking about Jesus and our connection to Jesus as followers of him uh, after his death. He says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And so Jesus is first among believers. We are heirs along with Jesus. 
And so if you think about all that God is going to give to his son, to give to Jesus, Jesus doesn't just hoard that to himself and keep those treasures to himself, but he shares that inheritance with us. With anybody that would come to Jesus, anybody that would trust in Jesus, we belong to the family of God, then we, uh, we get the same inheritance. Uh, we, we belong to God's family with him. We are co-heirs with Christ, fellow heirs. And so, you know, practically, what, is, what does that mean? Uh, that Jesus is first among believers. Certainly, it means that Jesus is the pattern that believers set their lives by, right? That we want to be conformed to the image of Jesus, that everything Jesus said and did and the way he operated and the way he cared for people, uh, that is an example to us of how we as believers ought to live. If he, if he is before all believers, if he is uh, first among believers, then we, we follow his example. And so that's why we say often as a church that we exist to make more and better followers of Jesus. We don't want to follow anyone else, no matter how godly and good they might be. At the end of the day, we want it to be said that we follow Jesus. We follow his example because he is first. Jesus is head of the church. That was in that paragraph in Colossians 1 that we looked at, and we've been dissecting that Jesus is head over the church. And so what does that mean for us as a group of believers? Um, It doesn't mean that Jesus is like on top of our church building here. Uh, Jesus is head of the church. That means that Jesus is over all of the people that belong to him, that, that are in the family of God. And so within our church family, God has given us a structure uh, of, of those who belong to our church family and then uh, leaders and elders and shepherds and pastors that can be over a church family to help direct and guide and, and shepherd in that way. But then above those, above us, is Jesus. He is above all. We, we, we follow suit with Jesus. What Jesus says goes because we want to follow his Example And so certainly through the Christmas season, we want to represent Jesus to people that uh, desperately need it. And so Jesus is, is first, among, uh, he's first among believers. And Jesus is first above kings. Uh, I mentioned David and the significance of the throne of David. And Jesus is certainly, uh, Jesus is certainly above all kings. Let me read this from Romans 1. 1 to 4, it says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus is first over all uh, kings. He is, he is the better David. David certainly was a man after God's own heart, and Scripture describes him in that way. But David had plenty of faults, and David had plenty of sins, and Scripture doesn't hide those things. Jesus is the better Adam. Jesus is the better Solomon. With all of Solomon's wisdom and might and strength and power, it, it was nothing against his, his own sin and his shortcomings, but Jesus is the better David, he's the better Solomon. Jesus is above every ruler. All rulers in heaven and on earth will find their bearing based on Jesus. And so you think about this baby Jesus that the, that the shepherds saw and the wise men saw and people marveled at and they wondered and as they saw Jesus grow up, what did they think about Jesus and his kingship? And they didn't, they didn't really get it. 
Mary and Joseph, certainly they had an inside scoop on what was going on, but it's obvious that people around Jesus as they saw him grow up, they didn't, they didn't get it that he was going to be king of all, born in such a humble way. How could anybody expect that to be except that uh, certainly it was God's plan? All kings are going to bend their knee in the presence of Jesus because there is no other proper response to the majesty of Jesus. All people will bow down to him. All people will uh, confess him, as it says in Philippians 2, 8 through 10. And I just want you to think about why this is so significant. Why would people bow down to Jesus? Why would they worship him in this way? Philippians 2, 8 through 10 says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is before and above all kings. He, 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 is, he is above all kings. There is no other name more significant than the name of Jesus. Scripture is so clear about the centrality of Jesus. The whole Old Testament pointed forward to a time when Jesus was going to come and there was a need for his once-for-all sacrifice that he humbly gave on the cross. And then the whole New Testament points back to what, what was the implications of that act that Jesus came to earth and lived a perfect life and died on the cross for my sin and your sin, what do we do now? How do we live? All of God's word finds its centrality in Jesus. He is uh, above all kings. And as I thought about that idea, it certainly brought me to Revelation where John sees Jesus in this both terrifying and majestic and amazing and awesome picture of who is Jesus? What was he going to be like? What was he going to do? And so Revelation 19 verses 11 to 16. Again, I just want to paint a picture for the majesty of Jesus uh, because it is so good to soak in this and think about who is this Jesus that we worship. And so Revelation 19, 11 through 16 says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has written... Uh, he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with the rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has written this name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That is the Jesus that we worship at Christmas. And, and yes, it's good to think about, you know, cute baby Jesus and to think about what it was like the day he was born. Uh, but God, I'm confident, wants to draw your minds to the significance of Jesus' birth. What did it mean that God came to earth? What does it mean that God is our, Jesus is our Emmanuel? As we sang a little bit ago, that we were rescued from death by Jesus, God with us, our Emmanuel. And so Jesus is first above kings. Nobody is going to surpass his majesty. Nobody is worth more worshiping 
than Jesus. He's first over creation, first among believers, he's first above kings, and he is first from death. He is first from death. And this comes out of, again, this paragraph that we've been dissecting in Colossians 1. So let me just uh, take us back to verse 18. Talking about Jesus, it says, He is the head of the body, the church. He, He is the head of all that we say, all that we do as followers of Jesus. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And so Jesus is first from death. Now again, that doesn't mean in a literal sense, uh, because there were others that were resurrected from the dead before uh, that happened to Jesus. In fact, Scripture actually describes at least six uh, people that were raised from the dead before Jesus himself was raised from the dead. Uh, Let me just give them to you really quick. 1 Kings 17, a widow's son was raised by Elijah the prophet. 2 Kings 4, a Shunammite woman's son was raised by Elisha the prophet. Uh, 2 Kings 13, there was a dead man thrown on top of the grave of Elisha, and as soon as he was thrown on top of the grave, he rose from the dead. Uh, In Luke chapter 7, uh, Jesus raised a widow's son from the dead. Uh, In Luke 8, Jairus, the synagogue's leader's uh, son, had passed away, and Jesus raised him from the dead. In Luke 11, Jesus' own friend Lazarus died. Jesus waited, came after his death on purpose, to show his power, to show that he has the power over resurrection, over death, and he raised Lazarus from the dead. And so certainly Jesus wasn't the first one uh, to be resurrected. So what, what is the point of that title? And it's really just around the implications that Jesus' resurrection was so much more meaningful. Jesus' resurrection had far more power and significance for us today than any other resurrection that has happened. Any resurrection that, that will happen, Jesus' resurrection will certainly outdo them all and has outdone them all. Uh, Jesus talked about it himself when he was alive, that he would die and he would later be raised, and his disciples didn't get it. They didn't understand, Jesus, if, if, you, if you die and you leave us, like, that's not, that's not good. We don't, we don't want that to happen. And, and they, they didn't understand that not only was Jesus going to die on a cross, which he had told them about, uh, but Jesus was going to be Uh, risen from the dead. And so Jesus' resurrection has far more significance for us than than any other resurrection. He is the firstborn from the dead in that he can lead any who would be resurrected to be be with God. And Jesus' resurrection, it showed his power, that Jesus has power over sin and death, that he is who he is said he was. Let me take us back to Romans 1. I read this a little bit ago, but I'm um, just thinking about this idea that Jesus' power and his resurrection from the dead sets him apart, uh, certainly that we would worship him. Romans 1, 1 to 4 again says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who is descended from David according to the flesh. And was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus is the promised Messiah who was going to come and rescue us from our sins. And he was going to give his life as a ransom for many, but Jesus was not going to stay dead. He was going to show that he has power over sin and death. 
And this is the good news that we need at Christmas. Because we live in a, a messed up world. And, and even around Christmas, something that started good and, and wanting to worship Jesus and, and love Jesus and think about Jesus and ponder him has become this commercialized thing. And so if maybe if nothing else around Christmas time, we can just see that our world is messed up and we're trying to replace Jesus and all that is good about Christmas with, with everything else. Um, and, and it's still amazing this time of year that there are opportunities, extra opportunities that uh, ungodly people will talk about Christmas and think about Jesus, and that is good, but certainly our world is moving away from that thought process. Uh, it doesn't take much convincing to tell you that we live in a world that is uh, consumed with our own desires and our own passions, and we're trying to seek all these things, and uh, maybe if we uh, are really generous around Christmas, that will make God happy with us. Uh, but we desperately need Jesus, because all the good stuff we could do all the things we might chase around Christmas that, that we might think will make us happy or maybe we'll fix different things in our family. Uh, none of those things are going to sustain. None of those things are going to work. What we desperately need is the good news of Jesus, that he is God and he came to earth and lived a perfect life. And even though he lived a perfect life, we sent him to the cross. I sent Jesus to the cross because of my sin. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm so far from perfect, and all of us are, and Scripture is so clear about that, that we, we all have sin. We all needed Jesus to come to rescue us from ourselves, from my, from my own sin. But that not only did Jesus die on the cross for my sin in that innocent way, but he rose from the dead. He showed that he has power over sin and death. And so I can be restored to live the way that God would want me to live if I fully trust in Jesus. Jesus is worth all of our worship around Christmas. Jesus is worth thinking about and talking about and sharing with others, especially around Christmas, because Jesus is everything. Jesus is, is overall. Jesus is uh, the first from death. And, and how significant is that, that his resurrection made it possible for my spiritual state to go from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive so at the end of my life I can be with him forever that his death accomplished that is certainly something that that we want to ponder at Christmas time and so just to just to recap these these four kind of thoughts around how Jesus is is first that Jesus is first over creation that his temporary physical life Although it came at a point in history, it had significance that went far beyond time itself and history itself, and it has eternal spiritual consequences that are for uh, our good. Jesus is first among believers. Salvation is made possible through him, and God adopts us into his family based on the action of Jesus. And we're given a picture of what God wants us to do and what God wants us to be through his son, Jesus. And Jesus is first above every king and every name that will ever be named. And the only proper response if we ever truly get to see Jesus is to bow down and worship him because nothing else will make sense when you're face to face with the glory of God and the perfection of Jesus. And so we want to bow down to him. And Jesus is first from death. And so even though his birth was always meant to lead to his death, he rose from the dead to show that he had power over sin and death. Uh, and so really the, the question, uh, and this is something that um, I, I shared uh, many weeks ago, the last time that I had the opportunity to, uh, to open God's word with you on a Sunday morning, is this thought of, uh, what does it look like to be a mature follower of Jesus? Or what would it look like around Christmas time to, to represent Jesus 
well? How, how, how could I know if I'm, if I'm living out the life that God would want me to live? And there's a lot of different measurements, and there's a lot of different things you could do, and I'm going to share some other practical things in a moment. Uh, but what, what could I, what, what does it look like? What does it look like to, to follow Jesus around Christmas? And it's really this question that um, I've been wrestling with, and so I, I just feel the need to share with you something that God is doing in my own life. And it's this question of, when I get up tomorrow, how long is it going to take for me to acknowledge Jesus? When I, when I wake up in the morning and I think about my day, uh, what, am I, what do I have going on in my day that I can worship Jesus through? Um, how can I follow him? Is it a conversation with somebody I'm going to see? Is it a task that I, I need to complete and there's work to do? But how can I do that in a worshipful way, knowing that the reason I do these things is to care for the family that God has given me and the blessing he's given me, or all these things. And there's, there's a lot of direct ways that we can live for Jesus, and even indirect ways that, ways that Jesus, uh, blessings Jesus has given us opportunities he's given us to serve him that we can follow through on. How long tomorrow will it take me to acknowledge Jesus? And so Christmas, in a lot of ways, is an opportunity to reflect or an opportunity to celebrate uh, the rank of Jesus. Just to think about the reality that Jesus is so worth the Christmas season. He is so worth all the Christmas music and all the Christmas traditions that help us remember what he did and all that he accomplished through coming to earth for us. Because Jesus is over creation. He is the reason that we can become part of God's family. He is above every king and every name. And Jesus is alive and even now is with the Father interceding for us. And so the question isn't whether or not Jesus is any of those things. It's whether we would worship him as those things, whether we would see Jesus for who he is. Um, and so we want to celebrate Jesus. And so I just have, I have two thoughts as, as I end here, just, you know, maybe in a more practical way. How could you do that? Uh, reflect on Jesus through, through reading his word and thinking about all that led up to his, his birth. And there's a lot of good Bible reading plans out there that you can follow. If you don't have one, actually in the foyer, on the little black tables in the foyer as you go out, there's a little Bible reading plan that started in December, and it's okay to jump in right now, but it'll take you through Christmas Day, and it'll help you reflect on the life of Jesus and all that was tied into the birth of Jesus, all the prophecy that was fulfilled through his coming. And so we can reflect on Jesus, and then a really simple thing is we can talk about Jesus to our friends and families and coworkers. And this time of year is such a great opportunity to talk to people about Jesus because Christmas is, is everywhere. There, there's, there's endless opportunities to turn the conversation spiritually. Um, and I know for many of you, you're praying for your family to come to know Jesus. Um, and so it can be difficult at times to figure out, how do I do that in this family setting? I don't want to offend people, but man, Jesus is worth talking about. Jesus is worth you bringing up. And so find ways, bring Jesus into the conversation. Talk about why we love Christmas, why we celebrate Christmas, because Jesus is worth it all. He, he ranks far above anything else that we could care about, anything else that we would desire. Uh, Jesus is worth all of it. Let me pray for us. God, I am so thankful for you. I'm thankful for this plan that you put in place before creation even came to be, that you would send your son Jesus to earth. Uh, God, that, that, that Jesus would even allow himself to be born in the way he was born and to live the life that uh, he allowed himself to live, even though it didn't have to be that way and he could have come in such a different, more majestic, proper way, but instead he was humble and loving. God, would you help us to be humble and loving in the way that Jesus was, to be willing to sacrifice ourselves for the sake of another. 
God, I pray that there's somebody here that's far from Jesus. Uh, maybe they've never really experienced the hope of Christmas, the reality that Jesus came so that we could know that we do belong to the family of God. And if there's anybody here in that boat, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them, that they would turn to Jesus, who is worth everything, is worth our lives. And God, that you would use us who know Jesus and we've been following Jesus for however long. God, would you use this season especially to help us reflect on all that Jesus is, all that he's accomplished. And God, would you give us opportunities to proclaim the name of Jesus to a world that desperately, desperately needs it. Uh, God, we love you and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.